Chapter twenty three of the Chartreuse of Parma by Stendhal. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter twenty three. Amidst the general storm of invective, Archbishop Landriani alone stood faithful to his young friend's cause and ventured even at the princess's court to quote that maxim of jurisprudence according to which the justification of an absent person must always be received with unprejudiced ears on the very morning after fabrizio's escape several persons received a tolerable sonnet which acclaimed his flight as one of the finest actions of the century and likened fabrizio to an angel descending upon earth on outspread wings on the evening of the third day every tongue in parma was repeating a really magnificent piece of verse this purported to be fabrizio's soliloquy as he swung himself down the rope and reviewed the various incidents of his life two magnificent lines ensured this second sonnet its proper place in public estimation every connoisseur recognized the hand of ferrante paola but at this point i myself ought to fall into the epic style what colours are bright enough to paint the torrents of indignation that submerged the hearts of all well-conditioned folk at the incredible news of the insolent illumination at sacca one shriek of horror went up against the duchess even genuine liberals thought she had risked the safety of the poor suspects in the various prisons in a most barbarous fashion and unnecessarily exasperated the sovereign's feelings count mosca declared that only one course was left to the duchess's old friends they must forget her the concert of execration was quite unanimous any stranger passing through the town must have been struck by the strength of public opinion still in this country where the delights of vengeance are thoroughly appreciated the illuminations and the splendid fate given to over six thousand peasants in the park at sacca had a huge success everybody in parma was saying that the duchess had given a thousand sequins to her peasants and this it was added explained the somewhat rough reception given the thirty gendarmes the police had been foolish enough to send into the village thirty-six hours after the splendid festivities and the general drunkenness which had followed on them had come to an end the gendarmes had been received with volleys of stones had taken to flight and two of them had been thrown into the river as to the bursting of the great reservoir at the palazzo san severina that had hardly been noticed a few streets had been flooded during the night and in the morning people might have thought it had been raining ludovico had carefully broken the glass in one of the palace windows which accounted for the entrance of the thieves and a short ladder had actually been found hard by count mosca was the only person who recognized the finger of his friend fabrizio was quite resolved to get back to parma as soon as he could he sent ludovico with a long letter to the archbishop and that faithful servant came back to the first village in piedmont san nazaro to the west of pavia and there posted the latin epistle addressed by the worthy prelate to his young friend we must here add a detail which like many others doubtless may strike people as wearisome in a country where caution is no longer necessary the name fabrizio del dongo was never written all letters intended for him were addressed to ludovico san michele either at locarno in switzerland or at belgirate in piedmont the envelope was made of coarse paper it was clumsily sealed the address was hardly legible 
and occasionally adorned with additions worthy of a cook and all these letters were antedated by six days from naples from the piedmontese village of san nazaro near pavia ludovico hurried back to parma he was charged with a mission which fabrizio regarded as of the utmost importance he was ordered to do no less a thing than to send clelia conti a silken handkerchief on which one of petrarch's sonnets had been printed one word in the sonnet had indeed been altered clelia found it on her table two days after she had received the thanks of the marchese crescenzi who declared himself the happiest of men and i need not describe the impression this mark of unfailing recollection produced upon her feelings ludovico had received orders to collect every possible detail as to what was happening in the citadel he it was who brought fabrizio the sad news that the marriage with the marchese crescenzi appeared to be a settled thing hardly a day passed that he did not offer clelia some form of festivity within the citadel walls one decisive proof that the marriage was settled was that the marchese who was excessively rich and consequently like most wealthy people in northern italy exceedingly stingy was making huge preparations and that although he was marrying a dowerless girl it is true that general fabio conti whose vanity had been sorely stung by this remark the first which occurred to all his fellow-countrymen had just bought a landed property costing over three hundred thousand francs and that though he had nothing of his own he had paid for it with ready money presumably money belonging to the marquis he had also given out that he bestowed the property on his daughter as a wedding gift but the expenses of drawing up the deeds and others which came to more than twelve thousand francs struck the marchese crescenzi a man of very logical mind as a very ridiculous outlay he on his part was having magnificent hangings admirably devised for delighting the eyes by the famous palazzi a bolognese painter woven at lyons these hangings each of which bore some part of the crescenzi family arms the family as all the world knows is descended from the famous roman consul crescentius who lived in 985 were to furnish the seventeen saloons composing the ground floor of the marchese's palace the hangings clocks and chandeliers delivered in parma cost over three hundred and fifty thousand francs the value of the new mirrors added to those in the house already reached two hundred thousand francs with the exception of two rooms famous as the work of parmigiano the greatest painter of that country next to the divine correggio all the apartments on the first and second floor were now occupied by the most famous florentine and milanese painters who were adorning them with frescoes fokelberg the great swedish sculptor tenerani from rome and marchese from milan had been working for a year on ten bas-reliefs representing as many noble acts in the life of that truly great man crescentius most of the ceilings which were also painted in fresco contained some allusion to his career one particular ceiling on which hayes of milan had depicted crescentius received in the elysian fields by francesco sforza lorenzo the magnificent king robert the tribune cola di rienzi machiavelli dante and the other great figures of the middle ages was most generally admired expressed admiration for these elect beings was considered to hint scorn of the people in power at the moment all these splendid details absorbed the attention of the nobles and burghers of parma and wrung our hero's heart when he read them 
related with artless admiration in a long letter of over twenty pages which ludovico had dictated to a customs officer at casal maggiore and i am so poor said fabrizio to himself i have four thousand francs a year in all and for everything it is downright insolence for me to dare to be in love with clelia conti for whom all these marvels are being prepared one item in ludovico's letter written in his own clumsy hand informed his master that he had happened one night on poor grillo his former jailer who had been thrown into prison and subsequently released and who now bore all the appearance of a man who was hiding grillo had begged him of his charity to give him a sequin and ludovico had given him four in the duchess's name the former jailers twelve of them who had just been set at liberty were making themselves ready to give the new men who had succeeded them a knifing entertainment trattamento di coltellate if they could contrive to come upon them outside the citadel grillo had reported that there was a serenade at the fortress every night and that the signorina clelia conti looked very pale was often ill and other things of that sort as a consequence of that absurd expression ludovico received orders by return of post to come back to locarno he came and the details he supplied by word of mouth were still more distressing to fabrizio's feelings my readers may imagine how pleasant he made himself to the poor duchess he would have died a thousand deaths rather than have pronounced the name of clelia conti in her presence the duchess loathed parma and to fabrizio everything that reminded him of that city was at once sublime and tender less than ever had the duchess forgotten her vengeance she had been so happy before giletti's death and now what a fate was hers she was living in constant expectation of a frightful event not a word of which she dared mention to fabrizio she who when she had made her arrangement with ferrante had dreamed that one day she would rejoice fabrizio's heart by assuring him that his day of vengeance would surely come my readers may conceive some idea of the agreeability of the conversations between fabrizio and the duchess the dreariest silence generally reigned between the two to increase the enjoyment of their intercourse the duchess had allowed herself to be tempted into playing a trick upon her too beloved nephew the count wrote to her almost every day apparently he still sent couriers as in the first days of their love for his letters always bore the postmark of some small swiss town the poor man taxed his wits so as not to speak too openly of his affection and to devise amusing letters all she did was to glance over them carelessly what alas is the fidelity of a lover she esteems to a woman whose heart is wrung by the coldness of the man she prefers in two months the duchess only sent him back one answer and that was to request him to sound the princess and find out whether in spite of the insolent display of fireworks a letter from the duchess would be well received the letter he was to present if he thought it wise prayed the princess to appoint the marchese crescenzi to the post of lord-in-waiting to her serene highness which had lately fallen vacant and begged the position might be given him in consideration of his marriage the duchess's letter was a masterpiece full of the tenderest respect most perfectly expressed its courtier-like language did not contain a single word of which the consequences even the most distant could have been otherwise than agreeable to the princess and the answer it elicited breathed the tender friendship which separation was putting to the torture my son and i wrote the princess have not had one fairly pleasant evening since your sudden departure 
has my dear duchess forgotten that it is to her i owe the fact that i have regained a consulting voice in the nomination of the officers of my household does she feel herself obliged to give reasons for appointing the marchese as though her expressed desire were not the best of reasons to me the marchese will have the post if i can do anything toward it and in my heart there will always be a place and the very first for my delightful duchess my son uses absolutely the same expressions though indeed they are rather strong in the mouth of a great fellow of one-and-twenty and begs you will send him specimens of the minerals of the valley of orta near belgirate you can address your letters to the count who still detests you and whom i love all the better on account of this sentiment the archbishop too has remained faithful to you we all hope to see you back some day remember that must be the marchesa ghisleri my mistress of the robes is about to leave this world for a better one the poor woman has given me a great deal of trouble and she displeases me now by departing at such an unseasonable moment her illness makes me think of the name which i should once have found such pleasure in substituting for hers if indeed i could have succeeded in obtaining this sacrifice of her independence from the unique being who when she left us carried away with her all the delights of my little court and so forth thus day after day when the duchess met fabrizio she felt conscious of having done all that in her lay to hurry on the marriage which was driving him to despair and they often spent four or five hours sailing together upon the lake without uttering a single word to each other fabrizio's kind-heartedness was complete and perfect but he was thinking of other things and his simple and artless mind supplied him with no subjects of conversation the duchess saw this and therein was her torture i have forgotten to relate in its proper place that the duchess had taken a house at belgirate a lovely village which fulfils all the promise of its name the view of a beautiful curve of the lake out of the french window of the drawing-room the duchess could step into her boat she had chosen a very ordinary one for which four rowers would have sufficed but she hired twelve and was careful to have one man from each of the villages in the neighbourhood of belgirate the third or fourth time she found herself in the middle of the lake with all these well-chosen men about her she signed to them to cease rowing i look upon you all as my friends she said and i am going to trust you with a secret my nephew fabrizio has escaped from prison and perhaps some treacherous attempt may be made to lay hands upon him although he is on your lake and in a free country keep your ears open and warn me of everything you may hear i give you leave to come into my room either by day or by night the men responded in the most enthusiastic manner she had the talent of making herself loved but she did not think there would be any question of trying to seize fabrizio it was for herself she was taking these precautions and before she had given the fatal order to open the reservoir at the palazzo san severina she would never have dreamed of them prudence had also led her to hire fabrizio's lodging in the port of locarno every day he either came to see her or she herself went to see him in switzerland the delights of their perpetual tete-a-tete may be gauged by the following detail the marchesa and her daughters came to see them twice and they were glad of the presence of these strangers for ties of blood notwithstanding a person who knows nothing of one's dearest interests and whom one does not see more than once a year may fairly be called a stranger one night the duchess with the marchesa and her two daughters was at fabrizio's rooms in locarno 
the archpriest of the neighbourhood and the village priest had both come to pay their respects to the ladies the archpriest who was interested in some commercial house and kept himself informed of the current news happened to say the prince of parma is dead the duchess turned very pale she could hardly find courage to inquire have you heard any details no replied the archpriest the report only mentions his death but that is quite certain the duchess looked at fabrizio it was for him i did it she said to herself and i would have done a thousand times worse and there he sits in front of me utterly indifferent and thinking of another woman it was beyond the duchess's power to endure the dreadful thought she swooned away everyone hastened to her assistance but when she came back to her senses she noticed that fabrizio was far less perturbed than the two priests he was dreaming as usual he is thinking he will go back to parma said the duchess to herself and perhaps that he will break off clelia's marriage with the marchese but i shall know how to prevent that then recollecting the presence of the two ecclesiastics she hastily added he was a great prince and has been sorely slandered he is a sore loss to us all the two priests took their leave and the duchess who longed to be alone announced her intention of going to bed no doubt said she to herself prudence forbids my returning to parma for a month or two but i feel i shall never have that patience i suffer too much here fabrizio's perpetual silence and absorption are more than my heart can bear who would have told me i would ever have felt weary of sailing alone with him over this beautiful lake and just at the moment when to avenge him i have done more than i can ever tell him after such a sight as that death seems nothing at all now indeed i am paying for the ecstasies of happiness and childish delight i felt in my palace at parma when fabrizio joined me there on his return from naples if i had said one word then it would all have been settled and perhaps if he had been bound to me he never would have thought of that little clelia but that word filled me with a horrible repugnance now she has the better of me and what can be more natural she is only twenty and i besides being altered by trouble and illness am twice her age i must die i must make an end of it a woman of forty is nothing to any man except those who have loved her in her youth the only joys left to me now are those of vanity and do they make life worth living that's another reason for going to parma and amusing myself if certain things happened i should be put to death well what matter i will die nobly and just before the end but not till then i will tell fabrizio ungrateful boy it was for you i did it yes parma is the only place where i can find occupation for what little life remains to me i'll play the great lady there what a blessing it would be if i could find enjoyment now in the glories which used to make the raversi sick with envy in those days i only became aware of my happiness by seeing it mirrored in jealous eyes my vanity has one piece of good fortune except for the count perhaps not a soul can have guessed at what has cut my affections at their root i will love fabrizio i will devote myself to his fortunes but he shall not break off clelia's marriage and marry her himself no that shall never be so far had the duchess proceeded in her melancholy soliloquy when she heard a great noise in the house hark she cried they are coming to arrest me ferrante has been taken and has confessed well all the better i shall have something to do i must fight for my life but to begin with i mustn't let them take me half dressed the duchess fled to the bottom of her garden 
she was just meditating climbing over a low wall and escaping into the open country when she caught sight of someone going into her room and recognized bruno the count's confidential man he was alone with her maid she approached the open window the man was telling the maid about the wounds he had received the duchess came back into her room and bruno casting himself at her feet besought her not to tell the count the absurd hour at which he had arrived the moment the prince was dead he added the count sent orders to all the posting-houses that no horses were to be given to any parmese subject consequently i travelled as far as the po with our own horses but when we were getting off the ferry-boat my carriage was overturned smashed up and destroyed and i was so seriously hurt i could not ride as it was my duty to have done very good said the duchess it is three o'clock in the morning i'll say it is midday but don't you dare to contradict me that is like the signora's usual kindness in a literary work politics play the part of a pistol shot in the middle of a concert something rough and disagreeable to which nevertheless we cannot refuse our attention i am now going to speak of very ugly matters concerning which for more than one reason i would gladly be silent but i am compelled to refer to certain events which come within our purview seeing they are connected with the lives of the persons i describe but good god said the duchess to bruno how did that great prince come by his death he went out to shoot birds of passage in the marshes by the river a few leagues from sacca he fell into a hole hidden by a tuft of grass he was in a violent perspiration and the cold struck him he was conveyed to a lonely house and there he died within a few hours some declare that signore catena and barone are dead too and that the whole accident was caused by the saucepans in the peasant's house into which they were taken being full of their degree they all breakfasted in that house then the hot-headed folk the jacobins who say whatever suits them talk about poison i know that my friend toto one of the court servants would have died but for the care lavished on him by a sort of lunatic who seemed to know a great deal about medicine and made him use very strange remedies but nobody talks about the prince's death any more and indeed he was a cruel man when i was starting the populace was collecting to murder chief justice rassi and the people wanted to set the gates of the citadel on fire so as to try and save the prisoners but some people declared fabio conti would fire his cannon on them while others vowed the gunners in the fortress had poured water on their gunpowder and would not destroy their fellow-citizens but here is something far more interesting while the surgeon at san donaro was binding up my poor arm a man came in from parma and told us that when the people saw barbone that clerk from the citadel in the streets they first of all thrashed him mercilessly and then hanged him on the tree in the square nearest to the citadel then they set out to destroy that fine statue of the prince that stands in the royal gardens but the count sent for a battalion of the guard drew it up in front of the statue and sent the people word that no man who came into the garden would leave it alive and then everyone was frightened but a very strange thing which the man from parma a former gendarme told me over and over again is that the count kicked general so-and-so the commandant of the prince's guard tore off his epaulets and had him marched out of the garden by two fusiliers that's just like the count exclaimed the duchess in a transport of delight which she would have thought impossible a moment previously he would never allow anyone to insult our princess and as for general so-and-so he was so devoted to his legitimate masters that he would never serve the usurper 
whereas the count whose feelings were less delicate fought through all the spanish campaigns a thing which was often cast in his teeth at court the duchess had opened the count's letter but over and over again she stopped reading it to question bruno it was a very comical letter the count used the most lugubrious language and yet the most lively joy was evident in every word he gave no details as to the manner of the prince's death and ended his letter with the following words you will come back of course my dearest angel but i would advise your waiting a day or two for the messenger whom the princess will send you as i hope either to-day or to-morrow your return must be as magnificent as your departure was bold as to the great culprit who is with you i fully expect to have him tried by twelve judges selected from every party in the state but to punish the wretch as he deserves i must first of all be in a position to make curl papers out of the first sentence if it exists the count had reopened his letter here's quite another business i have just had cartridges served out to the two battalions of guards i am going to fight and do my best to deserve that surname of cruel with which the liberals have so long honoured me that old mummy general so-and-so has dared to talk in barracks of parleying with the populace which is in a state of semi-revolt i write this in the middle of the street i go hence to the palace which no one shall enter except across my dead body farewell if i die i die as i have lived worshipping you in any case don't forget to send for the three hundred thousand francs lodged in your name with so-and-so at lyons here comes that poor devil rassi wigless and as pale as death you've no idea what a figure he is the populace is bent on hanging him that would be too hard on him he deserves to be drawn and quartered as well he would have taken refuge in my palace and has run after me into the street i hardly know what to do with him i do not want to take him to the prince's palace that would bring about a revolt in that quarter so-and-so will see whether i care for him my first words to rassi were i must have the sentence on monsignore del dongo and all the copies you have of it and you will tell all those shameless judges who have brought about this revolt that i will have them all hanged and you my friend into the bargain if they breathe a single word of this sentence which has never existed i am sending a company of grenadiers to the archbishop in fabrizio's name farewell dear angel my house will be burned and i shall lose those delightful pictures i have of you i am hurrying off to the palace to get that vile general so-and-so cashiered he is working for his own hand flattering the populace as basely as he used to flatter the late prince all these generals are frightened out of their wits i think i'll have myself appointed commander-in-chief the duchess was spiteful enough not to send and rouse fabrizio she felt a glow of admiration for the count which strongly resembled love all things considered said she to herself i really must marry him she wrote him instantly to that effect and sent off one of her servants that night the duchess had no time to feel unhappy the next day toward noon she saw a boat with six rowers swiftly cleaving the waters of the lake fabrizio and she soon recognized a man wearing the prince of parma's livery he was in fact one of his couriers who before he jumped on shore called out to the countess the revolt is put down this courier brought her several letters from the count a charming missive from the princess and a parchment decree from prince ranuzio ernest v which created her duchess of san giovanni and appointed her mistress of the robes to the princess mother 
the young prince who was learned in mineralogy and whom she believed to be a simpleton had been clever enough to write her a little note but there was love at the end of it the note began thus the count says my lady duchess that he is pleased with me as a matter of fact i have faced a few musket shots beside him and my horse was wounded the fuss made over so small a thing has made me earnestly desire to be present at a real battle so long as it be not against my own subjects i owe everything to the count all my generals who know nothing of war have behaved like hounds i believe two or three of them have run away as far as bologna since the day when a great and deplorable event called me to power i have signed no decree which gives me so much pleasure as this which appoints you my mother's mistress of the robes my mother and i have remembered that one day you admired the beautiful view from the palazzo san giovanni which once belonged to petrarch at least so we are told my mother desired to give you this little property and i not knowing what to give you and not daring to offer you all that belongs to you already have made you a duchess in my own country i do not know whether you are so learned as to be aware that san severina is a roman title i have just given the ribbon of my order to our excellent archbishop who has displayed a firmness very uncommon in a man of sixty-two you will not be angry with me for having recalled all the banished ladies i am told that in future i must never sign my name without having written the words your affectionate it vexes me that i should be thus made to squander an assurance which is not fully true except when i write myself your affectionate ranuzio ernest who would not have thought judging from this language that the duchess was about to enjoy the highest favour nevertheless she found something very odd in other letters from the count which reached her two hours later these advised her without further explanation to put off her return to parma for a few days and to write the princess word that she was exceedingly unwell notwithstanding the duchess and fabrizio started for parma immediately after dinner the duchess's object which however she did not admit to herself was to hurry on the marchese crescenzi's marriage fabrizio for his part performed the journey in a state of wild happiness which seemed perfectly ridiculous to his aunt he had hopes of seeing clelia soon and fully reckoned on carrying her off in spite of herself if that should be the only means of breaking off her marriage the journey of the duchess and her nephew was a very cheerful one at the last posting station before parma fabrizio stopped a moment to put on his churchman's garb as a rule he wore ordinary mourning dress when he came back to the duchess's room there seems to me something very odd and inexplicable she said in the count's letters if you will be ruled by me you will stay here for a few hours i'll send you a messenger as soon as i have had a talk with the mighty minister it was only very unwillingly that fabrizio bowed to this sensible piece of advice the count received the duchess with transports of joy worthy of a boy of fifteen calling her his wife it was long before he would talk of politics when they came back at last to the dull realms of common sense you did very wisely he said to prevent fabrizio from arriving openly there is a great reaction going on here just guess the name of the colleague the prince has imposed on me as minister of justice rassi my dear soul rassi whom i treated like the blackguard he is on the day of our great excitements by the way i must warn you that everything that happened here has been suppressed if you read our gazette you will perceive that a clerk at the citadel of the name of barbone 
has been killed by a fall from a carriage as for the sixty-odd rogues i had shot when they tried to wreck the prince's statue in the gardens they are all quite well but they have gone on long journeys count zurla the minister of the interior has personally visited each of these unlucky heroes homes and has made over fifteen sequins to their family or friends with strict orders to say that the dead man is travelling and a very direct threat that anyone who ventures to hint anybody has been killed will be forthwith shut up in prison a man from my own office at the ministry of foreign affairs has been sent to the journalists of milan and turin to prevent any mention of the unfortunate event that's the correct term and this man is to go as far as paris and london so as to give an almost official denial to any newspaper reference to our disturbances another agent has gone toward bologna and florence i shrug my shoulders but the comical thing at my age is that i felt a flash of real enthusiasm when i was addressing the soldiers of the guard and when i tore the epaulets off that contemptible fellow general so-and-so at that moment i would have given my life for the prince without the smallest hesitation i confess now it would have been a very silly way of ending it at this moment the prince kind-hearted young fellow as he is would give me a thousand crowns if i would die of some sickness he dares not ask me to resign as yet but we see each other as seldom as possible and i send him a quantity of small written reports just as i did with the late prince after fabrizio was imprisoned by the way i have not turned his sentence into curl papers for the excellent reason that that villain rassi never gave it to me that is why you have done so wisely to prevent fabrizio from arriving publicly the sentence is still valid however i do not believe rassi would dare to arrest our nephew to-day still he may possibly dare to do it within a fortnight if fabrizio absolutely insists on coming into the city let him come and live in my house but what is the reason of all this exclaimed the astonished duchess the prince has been persuaded that i give myself the airs of a dictator and of the saviour of the country that i want to lead him like a child and even that in speaking of him i used those fatal words that child this may be true i was very much excited that day but indeed i really looked on him as a thorough man because he was not frightened in the face of the first musketry firing he had ever heard in his life he is by no means a fool his tone indeed is much better than his father's and i cannot say it too often at the bottom of his heart he is both good and upright but his honest young soul is stung when the story of some piece of rascality is told him and he thinks his own nature must be vile to perceive such things think what his education has been your excellency should have remembered that he was to be our master some day and should have placed a clever man about his person in the first place we have the instance of the abbe de condillac who was appointed by my predecessor the marchese di felino and turned his pupil into a very king of simpletons he walked in religious processions and in seventeen ninety six he failed to make terms with general bonaparte who would have tripled the size of his dominions and in the second place i never dreamed i should have been prime minister for ten successive years now that my mind is disabused of that idea that is to say for the last month i am resolved to put together a million of francs before i leave this bedlam i have saved to its fate but for me parma would have spent two months as a republic with the poet ferrante palla as dictator the duchess reddened at the words the count knew nothing of that story 
we are coming back now to the regular eighteenth-century monarchy ruled by the confessor and the mistress at heart all the prince cares for is mineralogy and perhaps madam for you since he has succeeded his body servant whose brother a fellow with nine months service i have just made a captain this body servant i say has put an idea into his head that he ought to be the happiest of men because his profile will appear on the coinage that fine notion has brought boredom in its train now he must have an aide-de-camp to help him out of his boredom well even if he were to offer me that precious million of money which is so necessary to ensure our comfort at naples or paris i would not undertake to cure him of his boredom and spend four or five hours every day in his highness's company besides as i am cleverer than he is he would think me a monster before the first month was out the late prince was spiteful and envious but he had fought as a soldier and commanded troops and that had given him a certain sense of deportment there were the makings of a prince in him and with him i could behave as a minister whether good or bad but with this honest son of his in spite of all his candour and real kind-heartedness i am obliged to resort to intrigue i find myself the rival of the veriest old woman among his courtiers and a rival in an inferior position too for i shall certainly despise scores of precautions which i ought to take for instance three days ago one of those women who lay out clean towels in all his rooms contrived to mislay the key of one of the prince's english writing-tables whereupon his highness refused to attend to any of the business the papers for which were in that particular receptacle for twenty francs we might have had the board at the back of the writing-table removed or have had the lock opened with a false key but ranuzio ernest v informed me that such a proceeding would give the court locksmith bad habits so far he has never contrived to be of the same mind three days running if the young prince had been born a marquis with a large fortune he would have been one of the most worthy men about his own court a sort of louis the sixteenth but how is that pious simplicity of his to escape all the skilful ambushes that surround him thus your friend the raversi's salon is more powerful than ever its frequenters have discovered that i who had the populace fired on and who was resolved if necessary to kill three thousand of them sooner than permit any insult to the statue of the prince who had been my master am a violent liberal that i tried to get a constitution signed and more stuff of the same kind with such republican stories these madmen would prevent us from enjoying even the best of monarchies you madam in fine are the only existing member of that liberal party at the head of which my enemies have placed me of whom the prince has not spoken in harsh terms the archbishop who is still a perfectly upright man is in thorough disgrace because he used reasonable language about what i did on the unlucky day on the day after that which was not then as yet known as unlucky while it was still true that a revolt had taken place the prince told the archbishop that he was going to make me a duke so that you might not have to take an inferior title when you married me to-day i fancy it is rassi whom i ennobled for selling me the late prince's secrets who will be made a count in face of such promotion as that i should look like a fool and the poor prince will degrade himself no doubt of that but after all he is master here and in less than a fortnight that fact will still the voice of ridicule therefore my dear duchess let us do as we should do if we were playing trick-track let us withdraw but shall we be anything but rich 
after all neither you nor i need luxury if you will give me a seat in your box at the san carlo and a horse to ride i shall be more than content it will never be the luxury greater or less in which we live that will ensure our position it will be the pleasure the clever folk of the place may find in drinking a cup of tea in your drawing-room but replied the duchess what would have happened on the unlucky day if you had held yourself apart as i trust you will do in future the troops would have fraternized with the populace there would have been three days of killing and burning for it will be a century yet before a republic can cease to be an anomaly in this country after that a fortnight's pillage until two or three foreign regiments had been sent in to quell the disorder ferrante palla was in the midst of the populace as brave and as raging mad as usual he had some dozen friends backing him up no doubt and out of that rassi will make a fine conspiracy one thing is certain that although he wore an incredibly tattered coat he was distributing money by handsful in every direction astounded by all this news the duchess hurried off to present her acknowledgments to the princess the moment she entered the royal apartment the lady-in-waiting presented her with the little gold key to be worn at the waist which is the symbol of supreme authority in that portion of the palace ruled by the princess clara paulina lost no time in dismissing all her attendants for the first moments after she was left alone with her friend her manner and speech were neither of them absolutely frank the duchess who could not understand what this meant was very cautious in her answers at last the princess burst into tears and throwing herself into the duchess's arms exclaimed my misfortunes are beginning afresh my son will treat me worse than his father did i'll take good care he does not replied the duchess vehemently but in the first place she went on i must beg your most serene highness to condescend to accept all my gratitude and my humblest duty what do you mean exclaimed the princess alarmed at the thought of a possible resignation what i mean is that whenever your most serene highness gives me leave to turn the shaking chin of yonder chinese monster on the chimney-piece to the right you will give me permission too to call things by their real names is that all my dear duchess exclaimed clara paulina rising and herself placing the monster's chin in the required position speak now with perfect freedom she added in the most gracious fashion madam replied the duchess your highness has grasped the position perfectly both you and i are in a most dangerous position fabrizio's sentence is not annulled consequently whenever there is any desire to get rid of me and insult you he will be cast into prison again our position is as bad as it ever was as regards myself personally i am going to marry the count and we shall settle at naples or in paris the final stroke of ingratitude from which the count is suffering at the present moment has thoroughly sickened him and save for your serene highness's sake i should not advise him to have anything more to do with this mess unless the prince were to give him an enormous sum of money i will ask your highness's leave to explain that the count who had a hundred and thirty thousand francs when he first entered politics owns barely twenty thousand francs a year at the present time in vain have i besought him this ever so long to consider his own pocket during my absence he has picked a quarrel with the prince's farmers general who were scoundrels the count has replaced them by other scoundrels who have given him eight hundred thousand francs what exclaimed the astonished princess good heavens how sorry i am to hear that madam replied the duchess with the most absolute coolness shall i turn the monster's head to the left 
no no indeed exclaimed the princess but i am sorry that a man of the count's character should have thought of gain of that description but for this theft he would have been despised by all honest folk good god can that be possible madam replied the duchess except my friend the marchese crescenzi who has four or five hundred thousand francs a year of his own every soul in this place steals and how should they not steal in a country where gratitude for the greatest services does not last quite a month therefore the only real thing which outlives disgrace is money madam i am about to venture on some terrible truths i give you leave said the princess with a deep sigh and yet they hurt me very cruelly well then madam the prince your son a perfectly upright man may make you far more wretched than his father did the late prince's nature was very much like that of other men our present sovereign is never sure of desiring the same thing for three days on end consequently to be sure of him one must live perpetually with him and never let him speak to anyone else as this truth is not very difficult to divine the new ultra party led by those two wise heads rassi and the marchesa raversi will endeavour to provide the prince with a mistress this mistress will be given carte blanche to make her own fortune and to dispose of some inferior posts but she will have to answer to the party for her master's constant good will to be thoroughly well established at your highness's court i must have rassi spurned and banished further i must have fabrizio tried by the most upright judges who can be found if as i hope these judges recognize his innocence it will be only natural to grant the archbishop's wish that fabrizio should be his coadjutor and his ultimate successor if i fail the count and i will forthwith retire in that case i leave your serene highness this farewell advice you must never forgive rassi and you must never leave your son's dominions so long as you keep near him your good son will never do you any serious harm i have followed your arguments with all the attention they deserve replied the princess with a smile but am i then to undertake the care of finding a mistress for my son oh, not that indeed madam but see to it that your drawing-room shall be the only one in which he finds amusement on this subject the conversation ran on endlessly the scales were falling from the eyes of the innocent and intelligent princess the duchess sent a courier to fabrizio to tell him he might enter the city but that he must conceal himself hardly anyone saw him dressed as a peasant he spent his whole time in the wooden booth which a chestnut seller had set up under the trees of the square just opposite the citadel gates End of chapter 23